0: Alright, I want you to get out your sheet in a Bible, it kind of has been our custom and will continue to be, we're going to be all over the place. And so, what we're going to do this morning, we're starting kind of three weeks talking about relationships. And we told you the way that we're approaching Proverbs is to do it topically. So the last couple weeks we looked at money, the next few weeks we'll look at relationships. So this morning we're looking at marriage, next week we'll look at family and children, the last week we'll look at friendship. And so we're going to be all over the place. Uh, On your sheet, I've just given a selection of Proverbs for you to look at with your groups under some headings. Uh, We're going to look at a few more Proverbs than even that. And then one of the things I'm going to do this morning is I'm going to connect that to other passages in the Bible about marriage. And before we do that, how many of you are married? Okay. How many of you are single? Okay, great. So here's the deal. This morning, whether you are married or whether you are single... All of this applies to you, and I'll talk more about that in a second. Practically, it applies to you if you are married, uh, because it's going to directly apply to your marriage with your wife. Practically, it applies to you if you're single, that if you are going to be, ever be married, or even if you are not, the way that you support, the way that you think about dating, and the way to you think about others who are married is incredibly important. Spiritually, this is all important for us really for one reason, because ultimately... The Bible describes marriage, ultimately, as our marriage and union with our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. And so though you, perhaps, have been a bridegroom before, every man in this room, if you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you are his bride. And all of this is based on our marriage to Jesus Christ, and we'll get more into that in a second. And so that applies to you, whether you are married or whether you are single and so this is an incredibly rich and important time for us to spend together in discussion. Uh, a few things I want to mention about uh, Proverbs just by way of reminder. We've defined Proverbs as the art of godly living, right? And, uh, a, a, gosh, almost feels like forever ago now, but a couple months ago or a month and a half ago, I preached on James about wisdom. And I defined it this way, that, that wisdom is the ability that's grace-given to live the whole character of God. It's this grace-given ability given to us by the Holy Spirit to live out godliness, to apply godliness to everything that we do. And so if you think about it, really the whole book of Proverbs, just about everything, even think about what we've learned about money the last couple weeks, that could apply to a marriage, could it not? Hopefully you're all shaking your heads yes. It could apply to marriage. Everything in Proverbs, every wisdom that it gives, could apply to marriage. But there are some specific things that I believe Proverbs gives us. Specific bits of wisdom that really only marriage demands of us. Very specific and unique demands that marriage gives us. Okay, And so, this is for lots of reasons. The first is this, that the Bible begins with a marriage. Genesis 2, Adam and Eve. Uh, Jesus' first miracle was at a wedding, the wedding at Cana. The Bible actually ends with a wedding. (coughs) Revelation 21, I saw out of heaven a bride adorned for her husband, New Jerusalem, the wedding feast, the marriage supper of the Lamb. From beginning to end, the Bible is about a marriage, a marriage between Jesus Christ and his people, the bride, his church. And we begin to think about it that way. And perhaps this morning, for some of you, you've never heard that before. You've never really thought about it or studied it. I want to tell you and encourage you to really pay attention this morning. Because marriage, our earthly marriages, are just a small fraction, a picture, a shadow of a greater wedding that is to come. And a greater marriage than any of us could possibly imagine a marriage between us, an unfaithful, adulterous bride, and Jesus Christ, a faithful, loving husband. And every kind of aspect of marriage, earthly marriage, is meant to be a reflection of that picture. And that applies again to you, whether you are single, whether you are newlywed, whether you are engaged, or whether you've been married for 40 years. And Proverbs gives us practical wisdom on how to apply the marriage of Jesus Christ to his people, to apply that picture to us in our earthly marriages. And we're going to look at it in four ways this morning. Those four ways are listed on your sheet, so you don't have to write them down. The first is this, a godly marriage is a covenant. Remember saying that wisdom is the art of godly living, so we're interested, what's a godly marriage? And you've probably heard about it that before, or heard people, oh, well, I just want my marriage to be godly or God-centered, or one day I'm hoping to find a godly wife. We're interested in what godly marriages look like because we're interested in godliness, first and foremost. So first, we're looking at a godly marriage as a covenant. Second, a godly marriage produces character. Third, a godly marriage requires communication, something I know we're all really great at. And then lastly, a godly marriage displays the wisdom of God. So we're going to look at these practical four ways that wisdom helps us when we think about a godly marriage. The first, a godly marriage is a covenant. I've got this listed for you here at the top, Proverbs 2, uh, beginning in verse 16. This is actually talking in the context of an adulterous woman. It says, so you will be delivered from the forbidden woman, from the adulteress with her smooth words. But I want you to notice what he describes her error in verse 17. He says this about adultery. He says, She has forsaken the companion of her youth and forgets the covenant of her God. So a couple words here that are important for us this morning. The first is companion. That we think about our wife as a companion, right? A forever friend deepest, most intimate, earthly relationship that you will ever have. We'll talk about friendship in a couple weeks. First and foremost, your wife or your future wife should be your friend. And this is one of the things, we'll talk more about character in a little bit, but one of the things that I think a lot of us forget, and perhaps those of you who are dating might not be on your list, I would encourage you add it to your list. You need to be Friends. You need to be friends with your wife. We're talking about a forever companion. But all of this, this companionship, is built on one much more important word. We're told the adulteress, in verse 17, has forgotten the covenant of her God. Marriage is a covenant. It's not a contract. And if you've ever taken our here are a few plugs here this morning, uh, union is our premarital class. We talk about this in union. So those of you who are dating or engaged, come and take union Uh, In fact, we're meeting right now. You can take it next spring. Uh, We've got several other uh, classes started. Is Bill here? Bill Bogart? All right, see, I'm doing you a favor, man. Isn't that awesome? So Bill is our interim director of marriage ministry. He's working very hard and doing a phenomenal job. Perhaps you've seen the information on the marriage class. Uh, So that is another great, those of you who've been married for what, 10 years, Bill? Around 10 years, a great opportunity, and that's going to continue and start up again in the spring. And so those of you who are newlyweds, we've got small groups that we've started uh, designed for you uh, to process being newlywed in community over a year, and so there's lots of ways we are thinking about marriage. But the one thing that I is continue through all of those is that we define, as a church, marriage is a covenant, and it's not a contract. And today, our world, our culture, really defines marriage as a contract. And those of you who are in business, you know what I mean. If you... Uh, break one aspect of a business contract you you are have the ability to get out of it right if it's been broken if the other party has been broken you can sue that person you can file you can break that contract it's now null and void the problem of thinking about marriage as a contract is how many of you have ever broken your marriage vows just a few of us right now, every one of us if you're going to be honest you do not keep your marriage vows perfectly, do you? And neither does your wife. Well, the problem with that is we think about it as a contract. That means, well, you know what? I'm just not, she's not doing it for me anymore. Or she, you know, I just don't think she's loving me the way I want to be loved. Or if you begin to think about it that way, then at some point you might think, well, I just don't want to do this anymore. Marriage is not a contract. Marriage is A covenant. By covenant, I mean that when you are married, most likely, perhaps not all of you, but if you are married uh, as a Christian, this is true. There's a reason why we get married in churches and a reason why we have pastors marry people, and it's not because that just seems like the right thing to do, but there's actually a third party represented in a marriage. His name is God, and he is the covenant keeper. And though you will break your marriage vows every single day, So your wife will break hers as well. God does not break his, and he will keep those vows on your behalf by his grace for your good. Marriage is a covenant. It cannot be broken. Why? We'll talk about this in a second, because God has made a covenant with us. But a few ways we want to look about this in the book of Proverbs, the first from the angle of adultery. Proverbs has a lot to say of warning against adultery. And remember, A few weeks ago, we talked about the fool, right? Uh, The fool and his folly. There's great foolishness to adultery. It seems like a good idea in the moment, perhaps. Uh, It is utter foolishness, and uh, Proverbs teaches us that. Uh, I'm going to get to the one that I have listed for you there uh, in in the sixth, but this is Proverbs 5, verse 1. (laughs) Proverbs 5, verse 1, if you want to write it down. My son, be attentive to my wisdom, Listen to my understanding, that you may keep discretion, that your lips may guard knowledge, for the lips of a forbidden woman drip honey, and her speech is smoother than oil. In a way that only Proverbs can. Describing temptation, right? The allure of adultery. And remember, Jesus, how how does he define adultery? Not just with actions, but what else? Yeah, with our thoughts. So here's a hard truth this morning. How many of us this morning have committed adultery according to Jesus? Yeah. It's heavy, isn't it? Have you ever thought about it that way? That even thoughts, what you look at, not just action, certainly could be action. If it is not your wife, and if you're not married... It's not your future wife, so it's purity for the sake of purity's sake, right? It's adultery. And here Proverbs is describing this allure, this forbidden woman. She drips honey, her speech is smoother than oil. But, verse 4, in the end she is bitter as wormwood, sharp as a two-edged sword. Her feet go down to death. Her steps follow the path of Sheol. And then I have listed there for you Proverbs 6. This begins in 27. I'll get to 32. Again, talking about temptation and what we do with it. Do you flee from temptation? Proverbs six twenty seven. Can a man carry fire next to his chest and his clothes not be burned? Can a man carry fire, right? Adultery, temptation, particular of A sexual nature, it is fire. Can you carry fire close to your chest and not be burned? Proverbs asks. Or can one walk on hot coals and his feet not be scorched? So is he who goes into his neighbor's wife. None who touches her will go unpunished. He goes on, verse 32. He who commits adultery lacks sense. He's a fool. He who does it destroys himself. So Proverbs begins with this warning. If marriage is a covenant is forever, you're called to a covenant only to your wife, only to your future wife, then all other kinds of relationships with a woman outside of that, whether they be uh, emotionally outside, that is uh, akin to an re- emotional relationship with your spouse, with your wife, or whether they be sexual in nature, whether that's physical or mental, that's adultery. And proverbs is warning this it'll destroy you men it will destroy you it will cripple you it will bring you down and so what is our motivation this morning what motivates us to withstand that kind of temptation that kind of barrage every single day well the first is this those of us who are married our wife proverbs 5:15 proverbs 5:15 and I'll get to 18 in a second. Proverbs 5, 15. Drink water from your own cistern. Now again, this is imagery. So think about it in terms of your wife, of your marriage. Drink water from your own cistern, flowing water from your own well. Should your springs be scattered abroad, streams of water in the streets, let them be for yourself alone and not strangers with you. Let your fountain be blessed. Rejoice in the wife. Of your youth. A lovely deer, a graceful doe. Let her breast fill you at all times with delight. Be intoxicated (laughs) always with her love. Why should you be intoxicated, my son, with a forbidden woman and embrace the bosom of an adulteress? So, practically, Proverbs gives us this antidote to temptation. Enjoy your wife. Enjoy your wife. See that God has given you. This beautiful, amazing woman, we'll talk about this in a second, woman of God, that not just physically is attractive to you, but emotionally and spiritually too. The great allure of temptation is the separation of physical union from the emotional and spiritual union that we enjoy every day. Talk about this in a second, but emotionally and spiritually, it is hard to connect with our wives, is it not? And that's connected to the physical, isn't it? The allure of adultery, of physical temptation, is that you don't have to connect those to the other parts. All of this is connected, Proverbs will teach us. It's all together. You cannot have one without the other. And so you are called as a man to enjoy your wife. Physically, yes, emotionally, and spiritually, that's where it begins. We'll talk about that in a second. Now, this morning, you might be saying, well, I'm not married, so what do I do? I'm tempted, too, just like every married man here. Ultimately, more than enjoying your wife, your earthly wife, the antidote to keeping your covenant steadfast is to keep your covenant with God himself not just first thinking about enjoying your earthly wife, but the antidote to temptation is to enjoy your spiritual wife. Now, you might not think of them that way, but enjoy really your spiritual husband, as the Bible would put it, Jesus Christ. I've said that marriage is a covenant. Marriage is a covenant throughout the Bible. God has made a covenant with you and with me, so much so that our sin in the Old Testament When Israel sinned against God, it was not just seen as immoral. We talked about this several studies back. It was seen as adultery. And this kind of imagery is used over and over again as the people of Israel forsake God for other gods. It wasn't just immoral. It wasn't just wrong. But God said, you are adulterers. You are playing the whore. Why? Because we have been entered into a marriage covenant with our God. We've taken vows with him. I want to read those vows to you. This is from the book of Hosea, my favorite book about marriage, actually, in a lot of ways. If you know the story of Hosea, uh, Hosea was called not just to speak prophecy, but to live it, right? To go and to marry a prostitute. Why? Because Jesus Christ, the truer and greater Hosea, was called to also go and to marry an adulterer. Who was he called to marry? Me and you. And so here's Hosea, he's been called to this, in Hosea 2, verse 16, we hear the marriage vows that he has called us to, the people of God, uh, to him. He says, in that day, declares the Lord, you will call me my husband, no longer call me my Baal, for I will remove the names of the Baals from her mouth and they will be remembered no more. And I will make for them a covenant on that day with the beasts of the field, the birds of the heavens, the creeping things of the ground. I will abolish the bow and the sword and war from the land and I will make you lay down in safety and I will betroth you to me forever. I will betroth you to me in righteousness and in justice and in steadfast love and in mercy. I will betroth you to me in faithfulness and you will know the Lord. Brothers, you have been betrothed to the King of kings and Lord of lords. Here is Bride. You have entered into a covenant, a covenant that though you break every day, he is a faithful husband where you are unfaithful. So ultimately, what's our motivation in guarding against con- and temptation and keeping our covenant of marriage? It's because he has entered into a marriage covenant with you. And he's called you to that kind of faithfulness. Okay, so first, marriage is a covenant. Second, we'll speed up a little bit. <coughs> Marriage produces character. Marriage produces character. And again, we'll move real quickly through some of this, this kind of character. Uh, Proverbs 12 verse four. "An excellent wife is the crown of her husband, but he, she who brings shame is like rottenness in his bones." Proverbs 19:14. House and wealth are inherited from fathers, but a prudent wife. Again, that's what means wise. A wise wife is from the Lord. Proverbs 18.22, who finds a wife, finds a good thing, and obtains favor from the Lord. And then finally, Proverbs 31.23, and there's many others that you could look at. Her husband is known in the gates when he sits among the elders of the land. And those are the four I've listed for. I want you to look more at those. But what I want you to see is this. He's describing character. He's describing the character of a person within marriage. First, those first few talk about the character of a wife. And for those of you who aren't married and you're thinking about your list of who you'd want in a spouse, and you're probably listing maybe physical things first, I'd caution you. You need to think about the inward, the heart. We're called into friendship, lifelong companionship, and here... Talking of of Proverbs 19, verse 14, a prudent wife is from the Lord, right? A gift from the Lord, Proverbs 18, 22, he finds a wife, finds a good thing, and obtains favor from the Lord. But it's not just about the character of our wife. So often, I think, men make these qualities that they're looking for in a spouse, and perhaps you even think of your wife now and think, well, she's got everything that I could ever want. I want you to begin to think about yourself. What do you have as a man? If you're single, what's your list about being a godly husband one day? Not what do you want in a future wife, but what are you going to be as a future husband? If you're married now, and whether you've been married for many, many years, or you've only been married for five, and you're thinking, wow, I wish my wife would be more like this or that, what are you called to be? How is God calling you as a husband In what ways do you need to be transformed by the gospel so you could better fulfill your calling as a husband? Proverbs 31, verse 23, her husband is known at the gates when he sits among the elders of the land. What do you think that's talking about? He's got a reputation, and it's a good one. Her husband is known well. The elders of the church, they know who he is. They know him by name. He's got a great reputation. Why? Because internally, his character is strong. What does your character as a man, as a husband, look like? And this is so important as we think about marriage. Again, those of you who are single, this is why we say you should get married to a Christian. Now, no, it's not because it's a qualifier. I'll get to that in a second, although it it is. It's because we can't do this on our own, can we? (laughs) You can't make yourself better. We've talked about this in the book of Romans. So as you're making this list and thinking of ways that you could be a better husband, guess what? If you try to do that on your own, good luck. You need the work of the Holy Spirit in your heart to transform you. And guess what? You desperately need the Holy Spirit working on your wife. Because if any of you have ever tried to change your wife before, anyone want to get up here and say how well that's worked out for you? (laughs) Yeah, we need the Holy Spirit at work in our marriages. That's why we say you should not be unequally yoked. That's why in our church, I will, none of our pastors will marry a believer with a non-believer. We might even do two non-believers together if they agree to a Christ-centered wedding and agree to meet with us about six or eight times and hear the gospel over and over and over again. (laughs) But if you're a non-believer and a believer, we won't marry you. Why? Because it's that important. It's that important. First, we're commanded in Scripture. I won't read it for you don't have time in 2 Corinthians, but second, just practically think about it. You can't change yourself. You cannot change your spouse. The only one who can transform you, and the only one who transforms your wife is the Holy Spirit. So, first and foremost, practically, how do you produce character in yourself? And I hope you're not trying to do this. But how does your wife how do you seek character transformation in your wife? You pray. You pray is your first thing before you say something to your wife. You pray first. Perhaps if you prayed for us, we'll get to this in a second. Maybe you won't say what's coming out of your mouth. Because ultimately we recognize that God is the one who's in charge of our wives and their character development just as he is in charge of us. Real quickly, Colossians 3.12, put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, forgiving one another. Above all these, put on love. And all of that flows in Colossians to this, Colossians 3.18, wives submit to your husbands as is fitting to the Lord. Husbands, love your wives. Do not be harsh with them. Colossians, Paul tells us, how do we produce these kinds of characteristics? Love faithfulness, forgiveness. It's all the work of the Holy Spirit. It's the work of the gospel in you. All right, so third, again, very quickly, kind of moving along, a godly marriage requires communication. A few verses here for you to think about, Proverbs twenty-one, nineteen. It is better to live in a desert land than with a quarrelsome and fretful woman, and there's many of these that are just like that. Better live in a corner of a roof, uh, better to live with just water dripping on your face? I mean, seriously, this is the imagery it has of living with a quarrelsome woman. So before you st- stop and say, wow, okay, I really don't want to find a quarrelsome wife, or man, I really need my wife to change, he also has words for you too. As a, hu- as a husband, Proverbs 26:21: uh, A charcoal to hot embers and wood to fire, so is a quarrelsome man for kindling strife. A quarrelsome man. Think about being hot with anger. That's what it's talking about here. And that kind of passion, that kind of anger, if you've ever gotten a fight with your wife, no one's ever done that before, right? No one here's ever been in a fight with your wife. Um, if that kind of anger comes out of you, what does that produce in your wife in that moment? It starts a fire, doesn't it? That's what it's talking about. Uh, Proverbs 20, verse 3, It is an honor for a man to keep aloof from strife, but every fool will be quarreling. So he's even saying, hey, for a man to quarrel, to fight, to pick fights, that's foolish. It's foolish. It's as foolish as adultery is. So godly marriage requires communication, it requires good communication. And it's no doubt that in our marriages so often, those are the places that are the hardest for us to communicate well. Why would that be? Have you ever thought about that? Why would it be hard to communicate? We, can, we communicate every day, right, as men? You're going to go from here, you're going to communicate, you're going to lead a team perhaps, or meet with clients. You're going to go to lunch maybe with another. Why is it hard, other than the fact that they're women and we don't understand them? We'll get to that at the very end. Why is it hard? Because there's a lot at stake emotionally in our marriages, isn't there? There's a lot at stake. The stakes are high. So everything can be charged. So Proverbs is giving us wisdom It's saying, Hey, how are you communicating? How are you speaking to one another? Are you prone to quarrels? Maybe not yelling kind of fights, but the kinds of disagreements that just kind of eat at you. How do we communicate with one another? Uh, Proverbs 17, I didn't have this, it's too long, but you could write this down. Proverbs 17, 9. Whoever covers an offense seeks love, but he who repeats a matter separates close friends. Proverbs 17, 9, whoever covers an offense seeks love, but who repeats a matter separates close friends. There's not a closer friendship than marriage. And so these kind of recurring disagreements, perhaps, that you bring up over and over and again that separates close friends. Whoever covers an offense, what does that mean? Forgives. As Paul calls us in Colossians, forgive as you have been forgiven. Whoever forgives brings love. Is your communication, the way that you speak, is it seasoned with the gospel? Do your words bring forgiveness, understanding? Do you recognize before you say anything that perhaps God is calling you to another kind of communication other than speaking? What kind of communication might that be? Listening. Are you listening first to her, to what she has to say in her needs? Do you listen before you speak? Something that we learned about this past week in church as we go through the book of James. Do you listen before you speak? How is your communication? What does that communication look like? And how is the way that you're communicating both in your speech and your listening, how does that show the gospel? Because ultimately, we're in this morning. A gospel, a godly marriage displays the wisdom of God. Proverbs thirty eighteen. I love this. Proverbs 30, by the way, has become one of my favorites. The whole thing, it's phenomenal. Proverbs 30, 18. Three things are too wonderfully are wonderful for me, and four I just don't understand. It's just beyond me, right? The, the wisdom it requires to understand these four things, I just don't understand. Here are the four things, verse 19. The way of an eagle in the sky. So if you've ever looked up at an eagle and watched it fly and think, Man, how does that work? Right? I don't even under, I don't get it. The way of a serpent on a rock. The way of a ship on the high seas. And lastly, the way of a man with a maiden. Literally, uh, the, the word there in the Hebrew, a virgin, a newlywed, a new wife. The way of a man with his new wife. Who could understand that? <laughs> who can understand it? No one can. It's a mystery. And those of you who have been married at all, and those of you who want to be married, you, you, you recognize this. Women are a mystery. Marriage is a mystery, but it's a mystery much more than you think. A mystery that Paul describes in Ephesians in this way. and This is where we're going to end this morning. He describes the roles of husband and wife, and in Ephesians 5.32, he describes marriage as a mystery. A mystery that is profound, he says, I am saying it refers to Christ and the church. Do you want a definition of marriage? What's the whole point? Paul just gave it to us. Marriage is a mystery that it, by design, points, displays Christ's love for his church. In that way, a godly marriage, it displays the wisdom of God. That God and his wisdom has given us this kind of relationship to be a mirror to God's covenant love for us as his people. So when you think about all of these things, whether it's communication or character or covenant, and you think, man, how, how am I going to do this? If you leave this way this morning, you're thinking, I need, here's my things to do better. I want to caution you and stop you and say, your number one motivation as a man, first and foremost, is your first marriage to God in Jesus Christ. Everything flows out of that. Down to the smallest little detail. The little things, perhaps, that your wife asks you to do that you don't really want to do. What's your motivation? Well, deep down, for some of you, perhaps, are going to be honest. You say, well, I'll do it because I just don't want her to bicker at me. Or maybe just one step above that. Well, I just want her to do something for me, and so it's kind of a give and a take. That is terrible marriage advice. No, you do it. Why? Because that little thing that you are called to do for your wife Christ laid his life down on the cross for you. So why do you love and serve your wife? Because Christ has loved and served you to the very end. So perhaps it might be difficult for you at times, or maybe it's the most joyous thing in the world. There is not a greater joy that you will know than the love of Christ for you. And when it's difficult... Know this, that in the most difficult of moments, Christ shed his blood on the cross for you. So these four things I want you to talk about around your tables. Remember, again, this applies to whether you're married or whether you're single. Christ died for you. He is married to you, and he has called you to this kind of marriage here on earth. Let me pray for you. Father, thank you. Thank you for the picture of marriage in the, in the Bible. <coughs> and thank you for the practical wisdom that you've given us in the Proverbs to live this out. May we not do this on our own. May we look to you and plead with you and pray to you and ask that you would give us the wisdom to live out godliness in our marriages. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.